having a conversation with them and teaching them how to be safe. Because as much as you try to control them, you won't be able to, because they're still going to make their own decisions and do their own things. I'm Rachel. And I'm Marcela. And you're listening to the Parenting with Understanding podcast. We are parenting coaches who have helped millions of parents like you all over the world go from feeling isolated and hopeless, unable to break the cycle of permissive or punitive parenting, to feeling confident in parenthood and connected to their children's needs. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Marcella. I'm so glad to be back. Me too. Okay, so we continue talking about older kids, teens and tweens. And today's episode is going to be on tweens and teens brains and their emotional needs. I've been going through Dr. Lockhart's Parenting Twins and Teens course, and I've learned so much. I'm not a therapist or a psychologist. I'm a parenting coach. And just going through her course, which is research-based, she's a psychologist and parenting coach of parents of older kids. I've been learning so much about the science behind parenting twins and teens. So I'm excited to share what I've learned. Yes, I can't wait to go through her stuff because I've been really paying attention to her content on Instagram for a while now. And I'm just so excited that she's going to be in addition to High Impact Club. She was the first parenting coach I followed before I became a parenting coach. That's so amazing. Like seeing something like that come full circle for you and your dream of High Impact Club is really awesome. Thank you. Let's talk about the brain. Twins and teens have undeveloped brains. I'm reading a book. It's called The Power of Showing Up by Dr. Daniel Siegel. And then he's saying that we have an upstairs brain and a downstairs brain. So downstairs brain are the survival responses. We respond to threat and we respond to connection as well. And then the upstairs brain is the logical thinking, the decision making, the executive functioning. When it comes to tweens and teens, that area of the brain executive functioning is undeveloped. I mean, I remember obviously being a teen and seeing a lot of those things being a struggle for me to control my emotions and executive functioning, specifically cleaning and being organized was just so difficult for me. So we are going to divide this episode on twins and then we're going to move on to teens. So let's talk about twins, which it goes from nine to 12 years old. My brother's daughter, she's 12. She's going to be 12 in June. And she's a twin. And oh my gosh, I could see her behavior. Hi, Susie. How are you? Good. Why are you doing nothing? What did you learn at school? Nothing. What do you like the best about school? I don't know. What are you doing today? Nothing. And that's how our conversation goes. I see my brother. He tries so hard to connect with her, but it's difficult because he always gets that. It's like pulling teeth with her. Yeah. And is that typical for that age? Okay. So I've had experience raising older children in foster care. And there is a part that is personality. So maybe she's more reserved. She's, and my brother is kind of like that too. But there is development there as well too. Because I remember when she was younger, she was more excited about things. She was more excited about doing things than now. Now it seems like everything is lazy. Everything is embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot tell her anything because for her, everything I say is embarrassing. And it's because at this age, nine to 12 years old, they live a lot of physical and emotional changes. So for example, when I was 12 years old, I started growing my breasts. I got my period. <laughs> 
Yeah. And then I started getting self-conscious about it. My mom, she bought me this starter bra. I don't know how you call it here, but in Colombia, that's how it's called. Starter bra, which is a very like thin cloth bra for little girls. And I didn't like it because oh. it, it didn't yeah. hold enough. It was kind of almost see-through my shirt. And I, I remember feeling really self-conscious about me growing breasts. We call them training bras, or I did. I called them training bras growing up. And I remember it being so uncomfortable. They're not doing anything. <laughs> they don't hold you. No, no. <laughs> no, maybe they've changed since you and I went through puberty. But like, I remember it being so uncomfortable. And, you know, you're already emotionally and relationally uncomfortable at that age. So you add the physical element of being uncomfortable and it just compounds. And it kind of makes sense why tweens start having such a hard time. I remember when I was 11 years old, I started that hormonal process. I was always an A student in elementary, always. And in high school and college, I was always an A student. But that little packet of time between 11 years old and 13, I wasn't doing good at school. Mm. And I remember the teachers would put a lot of shame on me, literally tell me, what's wrong with you? You were an A student. I remember feeling shameful, like I shouldn't behave this way. But at the same time, I felt like I couldn't control it. I read in that period of time of twin stage, there is something called brain pruning stage. So what is brain pruning stage? Brain pruning stage, according to what I read, I'm not a psychologist or a doctor. I'm a parenting coach who likes to read. I read that during that time, the synapses of the brain starts breaking and building new synapses. And there is a busy, a really busy time for the brain creating new synapses and getting rid of the ones that are not going to be needed for adulthood. So I read that this comes with not just physical changes, but emotional and behavioral changes, because it's kind of like your brain is a house with many different rooms, but all those rooms are messy. Our twins' brains are messy right now because they're reshaping, they're rewiring, they're building up synapses. And that comes with those behavior changes that I remember living. How come I'm not able to perform the same way at school. I want to do better, but I can't. That can be such a, a weighty thing for teens. I remember struggling. I've always linked it to my parents' relationship at that time because my parents severed their marriage at 13. Before then, it was very tumultuous. So I always thought that my academic performance had more to do with what was going on at home rather than what was going on in my body. And really, it's sounding like it was a combination of all of it. I would say I was depressed, even though like I didn't understand I was depressed, but I didn't want to go to school. Many times I felt like life wasn't worth it for me, but because I didn't have the trust with my parents, I didn't communicate that to them. I kept it all to myself and I looked for other ways. I would release that emotional weight to my friends who always didn't have the best answers for me. Yeah, it's like the blind leading the blind. <laughs> You're... The blind leading the blind. Their little advice was crazy. It was more like, no, you need to not listen to your parents and just the worst advice. And then Abuelita helped me too. My brother, he has Down syndrome. My mom was very focused on him. 
hyper focused on him and I was more like, okay, you can figure it out. So Abuelita played a big part in my upbringing. She was the one who taught me how to change my path. She taught me that. She taught me a few things about boys. I recently read a comment on one of my TikTok videos and it was about humiliation and parents humiliating their children unintentionally usually. But somebody commented and said something about how their dad made fun of the girls whenever they started their cycles in her family and how he would, you know, call them names and just like almost bully them. Mm -hmm. And I just thought to myself that had to have been, and she was basically admitting that that was so deeply wounding. I would like to believe the best in everyone. So I'm assuming that that dad wasn't doing that intentionally to hurt his daughters, but just to kind of like maybe make himself more comfortable with it and maybe make himself, you know, like, oh, this is like my girls are growing up. I'm assuming that, you know, every dad is like, oh my gosh, my babies aren't babies anymore. You know, all of a sudden my girls, my little girl is now a woman technically. And maybe that was his way of kind of like playing it off. I do know that there are some people that are intentionally abusive and intentionally harmful to their children. But like, I think about just growing up and not just for girls going through their cycles but the changes that boys go through their voices changing and cracking all the time and they can't control it. And it's got to feel embarrassing. I think as a preteen, when your voice starts to change and you're squeaking, when you're saying words or whatever, that it can just feel like, ah, this is so frustrating. Like it's all going to get to a good point at one point, you know, you're going to get used to your cycle. You're going to get used to a bra. You're going to get used to your new body. You're going to get used to your new voice, but these are all the things that they are dealing with on top of major social pressures. I think for all of us, when you look back at how we were raised and you look at the social pressures that they had then, most of us did not have social media at that point. I mean, the internet first came out whenever I was 16. That tells you how old I am. I'll be 40 next year. And I remember like getting into old school chat rooms, which our younger audience is going to be like, what was a chat room? I just remember that the majority of my social pressures came from the school environment and being popular, being liked, being attractive to people that you were attracted to and all of this stuff going on. I feel like teens and preteens now have the added element of social, not just social pressure, social media pressure, and their bodies are still changing the way that ours did. They still have the social pressures in their friends groups that we did, but then they've got this added element of the state that the world is in and the social media, you know, how it's blown up and all of that stuff. I just imagine because I was bullied at school that when you have social media, you bring what's happening in school at home. And I remember I feeling safe at home. Like finally I got home. This is my safe space. I, I could separate myself from what I'm going through in school right now. And if I had social media, I would have been brought to home mm -hmm. because I'm sure those bullies would have been in my social media accounts. That may bring up an important topic. Say if Santi and Miguel right now in today's world wanted to get social media, how would you set that boundary? Okay. So I already lived this with my teens in foster care. When it comes to foster care, they are not allowed to have social media because they're in foster care. That's the rule. So what happened? They still wanted to have social media, 
and they knew that was the rule. So many times I cut social media accounts they created. If you don't allow your children to have social media, highly possible they're still going to create their social media accounts without telling you. And how do you handle that? So that was a team effort because it wasn't my rule. It was the state's rule. The state doesn't allow children in foster care, at least here in Arizona, to have social media. So DCS shut it down. We talked to the children how it is for safety and what the rule is. But with Santi and Miguel, I would say it's better to talk to them and to create a safe space for them to have a social media in a way that we know what they're doing than restricting something. And then they're going to do it anyway in an unsafe way behind our backs. So you would have a conversation with them about the safety reasons and you would meet them with connection and understanding. One of my children that were in foster care with me, he got adopted by his teacher. He's 16 now. She called us like a year and a half ago. She said, how do I manage his social media? Do I make him friend me or what do I do? More than controlling children in social media is having a conversation with them and teaching them how to be safe. Because as much as you try to control them, you won't be able to because they're still going to make their own decisions and do their own things. So it's better if they have the information of how they can keep themselves safe and for you to release that control. She was asking for advice. Our advice was, no, just teach them and trust. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the best things that you can do, specifically with preteens and teens who are coming into their own. Those are the years that we have to equip them with the skills to be able to live without us. And if we're always over their shoulders, telling them what to do or not to do and punishing them for doing what we tell them not to do, then when they get out into the real world, I can say that I I lived this. When they get out into the real world, they tend to be very rebellious or they tend to be so hyper-focused on pleasing others Mm. that they don't live for themselves or make decisions independently. They base it off of their peers, their coworkers, their bosses, the other authority figures in their life. And many of us as adults may still be living in that same cycle because no one ever did walk us through those processes of thinking for ourselves. They didn't help us develop critical thinking. They told us what to think. That's good. So let's talk about teens, 13 to 19. So according to Dr. Lockhart's Parenting Twins and Teens course, she's saying that there's still a lot of physical changes going on. They still have undeveloped brains. They may need less sleep. So your younger children need 12 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. Teens need 8 to 10 hours. They may be affected by depression and anxiety. There is a lot of hormonal changes. And that is something that she said that really stood out to me. They are confused because they value more peer interaction. However, they need to feel they could come back to you when they need it. Mm. If they don't feel that they can come back to you when they need it, then they don't feel safe. They may not want to hang out with you. They may not want to spend time with you. They may not want to be in your barbecue, but they need to have the assurance that they could come back to you when they need it. There's a quote that I want to share from the book, The Power of 
of showing up. This quote about safety really stuck out to me. And it says, kids feel safe when they feel protected physically, emotionally, and relationally. This is the first step toward a secure attachment since a parent's first job is to keep his or her kids safe. They need to feel and know they are safe. They have to believe that their parents are going to protect them from physical harm, but that also their parents are going to keep them safe emotionally and relationally. And that's where I think oftentimes the most challenging time with our children emotionally and relationally is in the teen years because their physical needs, they can go get their own food. They know how to go to the refrigerator. Now they're no longer asking for, you know, mommy, can you get me a cup of milk or juice or whatever? Like they can go get it themselves, but they don't necessarily have the skills to keep themselves emotionally or relationally safe. Our role as a parent, we can really step into a very powerful role when we step out of taking their behavior personally, step out of this mindset of believing the worst, but instead of assuming the best in them, the best intention, and to understand that cognitively they don't have the full skill set like we talked about in last week's episode. They don't have the skills to control their impulses, to control their emotions, to make decisions calmly, to think logically logically and reasonably about things. They're very impulsive still. They're very emotional still. And they tend to make decisions out of that place. So if we can meet them there and connect and seek to understand, then we do keep them safe emotionally and relationally. We protect the bond. We protect that secure attachment that they have with us. And we can teach them how to build secure attachments and how to recognize secure or insecure attachments with others other people. That's really good. If you are listening to us, your wheels might be turning. Where do I start? What do I do? I don't know how to fix the bad relationship. The place to start is to start understanding yourself and how you're showing up to your older child. Dr. Lahart, she created a free quiz. I'm going to leave the link in the description. In that free quiz, you're going to learn so much about how you're showing up to your tween and teen. And then she's going to give you points to solution. Access that resource is completely free. That's the first step to understand, okay, am I being overpowering? Am I dismissing their feelings and their emotions when they talk to me? Do I get defensive when they bring up hard stuff or like big topics? One of my teens in foster care, one day he came from school. He didn't say hi. He went directly from the door to his bedroom and he slammed the door. If you just see that behavior, you may think like, who is this guy to come to my house, not even say hi to me, completely ignore my hello and go to the bedroom I'm paying for and slam the door. That's parent-centric when parents only think about themselves. As a parenting with understanding parent and coach, the first thing that I thought, this is not typical. This is not typical. There is something going on. He is this bubbly, happy teenager. He was like a little shutterbox. He would come every single day telling me everything about his day. So the fact that he didn't even say hi to me and then he slammed the door, something really big needed to happen. When he came out, I said, are you hungry? <laughs> that was the first thing I said. I didn't even address what happened. I said, are you hungry? He said, yes, a little bit. Uh, do you want to cook or you want me to cook something for you? Could you please cook for me? He was 17 years old. He perfectly knows how to cook his own meals, but he wanted at that action 
acts of service. That was his love language. So I cooked him his meal and then we sat down and then I served myself a little bit because I was full. I just wanted to connect with him. And then in the meal, we talked about other things. And then I said, what's going on? I was descriptive rather than judgmental. I noticed that you came from the school. You usually say hi to me. You tell me everything that happened during the day. And this time you went right to the bedroom and you slammed the door. Did something happen? Oh my gosh. He started crying and crying. That was the first time that I saw him crying in two years. And then he told me, it's just so hard to be homosexual. And I said, what happened? And then he told me that he was getting bullied by some boys at school. They were calling him the really ugly names for, you know, homosexual people, the F name. And that was the reason. What would have happened if I would have been on my feelings and like, I dare you to come to my house and not even say hi to me. And why did you slam the door? What would have happened? There wouldn't have been any progress. It would have just been further pain for him. And what would have happened to his bullying? He would have gotten more bully because I would have known. So the next day, the first thing I did, I went to his school and I talked to the adults. Any bully scenario, that's an adult problem. There was no more bullying. But I wouldn't have been able to help them if I would have been in my feelings. Yes, if you would have taken it personally and if you would have just looked at the behavior, the surface behaviors, you would have missed the whole picture, really, like a shadow of what's actually going on. I'll never forget whenever I was a freshman, I was going through school, but this was literally like right after my parents had divorced and it was a very, very nasty divorce. My mom was extremely distraught and would often like cry into my lap and ask me like, what am I going to do, Rachel? What am I going to do? And I'm a 12, 13 year old. I was getting divorced. Mm -hmm. It was because. Are you the older one? The older oldest. Yeah. So I was 13. Uh My sister was six and my brother was four. So how did you feel when she told you that? I remember, I mean, I can, I can vividly see where we were at in our house. And I remember feeling, I even said to her, I don't know, mom, I don't know what to tell you to do. And you're responsible a hundred percent. But I also, my grandmother, my mom's mom told me when my dad left, my dad had had an affair with someone who was very close to my mom. Mm. And I was angry with him. My mom had not been faithful in their marriage either in years past. They had a very unhealthy relationship and very unhealthy marriage. And it wasn't all on my dad by any means. But this particular scenario was what ended their relationship. And my mom had, you know, me, a teen, and then one preschooler, one grade school. She was just like, I don't know how I'm going to afford everything. And I remember my mom's mom telling me, you need to be the adult now and help your mom. And Mm -hmm. that's called parentification, right? That has a term. So parentification is when we place adult responsibilities on children. (laughs) Yeah. And there were so many things that that did to me. So many things actually wound up building this massive resentment toward my sister specifically, which is really ironic because I took care of my brother too. But for whatever reason, it was more resentment toward my sister. And I didn't realize that until much, much later in life. But I remember all of this going on and I'm in my freshman year of high school. I don't remember doing any homework. I literally don't know how I got through that year. I did fail two classes, math and science, and I had to take summer school. And I remember having this thought process that like summer school was for the people who were just horrible at school. And I think that was because of things that my mom would tell me. So going to summer school, I felt this intense humiliation, but then looking back on all of it. And I even remember thinking my mom kind of 
of acting like, well, your decision, like you chose not to do your homework. So you deserve to go to summer school. And the reason I wasn't doing my homework was because there was so much stress. I didn't know it was stress. I had never felt stress in my life aside from, you know, being a typical child dealing with typical things that you're disappointed about, but I had never felt the adult kind of stress, but this was extremely stressful. And I remember one of my teachers, I don't even remember what class it was, but I failed a test or a quiz or something. And she said, I want you to take this home and get it signed by a parent. And so I knew if I showed a failing grade to my mom that I would get punished for it. So I forged her signature and I turned it back in the next day. And after she got all of the signed tests, the teacher said, okay, thank you for those of you that turned it back in. She said, I'm going to be calling all of your parents, but it shouldn't be a problem since they already signed your test. And I was like, "Ah, curse word, lots of curse words. (laughs) And so I knew I was like, I'm going to be in trouble by the end of today. And sure enough, when my mom got home, she looked at me and she was like, go to your room. She came in there and she was like, she didn't spank me anymore, but she grounded me. And I don't remember for how long, but there was no conversation about why there was no questioning about what's going on. Why did you fail this test? This is not like you. There was no understanding in that moment. It was very much, you made this decision. This is your consequence. And she and I have talked a lot about this now. And she, there's so much that she wishes she would have done differently. And there was so much that she did very, very well. But this was one of those scenarios where as a teen, I felt very, very misunderstood. And I felt very devalued even. And obviously I knew that wasn't her intention and she didn't have the tools that we do now. She didn't have the tools to understand that there was more going on to my behavior. In fact, she probably just thought, oh, this is like the divorcing is probably not. She's a teen. She's this probably isn't even affecting her when in reality it was deeply, deeply affecting me. Wow. Thank you for sharing your experience. Mm. And hopefully that gives some light to parents of teens and tweens. When you see back talk, when you see forged signatures, when you see slamming doors, when you see behaviors before thinking about how disrespectful look beyond and unveil what's really going on underneath that behavior. You do not have a bad child. There is no bad children. Right now, they are feeling misunderstood. Right now, they're dealing with things internally that they don't understand. Or maybe they do, but they might not have the trust yet to let you know. Build a relationship with them, work on connection, work on understanding, and work on helping them process what's going on and give them better tools on how to face their circumstances and their future. A very common thing that I get asked is, but the world is not gentle. Like, how are these kids going to turn out if they're so understanding and gentle all the time? And they're going to face really harsh bosses and friendships and people, just nasty people in the world. How are they going to have the strength and resiliency to overcome those hard interactions if they're used to your understanding? So if that's your question, I highly encourage you to come back next week because next week we are interviewing Jess Martini. You don't follow her, please follow her on TikTok, on Instagram. She's amazing. She was raised with gentle parenting and she's going to tell you how she turned out. And I think she turned out pretty she great. Did. She <laughs> did. She's amazing. Awesome. And she's going to tell you how she faces that real cruel world, hard interactions and really rude people now that she's an adult. Yes. And that'll be a great episode too, to share with the people in your life that have asked you 
well, how do you think this is going to turn out for these kids? How are they going to face the real world? All of those tough questions, that would be a great interview to share with them and say, well, you know, this person went through all of it. Hear what she has to say. If you are a high impact club member, meaning that if you have any of our classes, if you're one of our customers, I highly encourage you to go to our private Facebook group, HIC Cycle Breakers. The button to join is either in members area or you could search for us, HIC Cycle Breakers on Facebook. Join us. That's a safe space for you to keep sharing your experience. Sometimes just social media is not the place just because you get anybody, everybody commenting and judging you. That place is truly a safe space. So I highly encourage you to join us and let us know what is the main takeaway. What was your main takeaway for this episode, Rachel? I think my biggest takeaway was personal, actually. And it was all of the things that I did as a preteen and a teen were very normal. And the ways that I responded to the environment around me and the circumstances around me were very normal. And I love that I'm going to be able to offer understanding to my daughter because it wasn't necessarily offered to me, but I can break the cycle by giving that to my daughter. My main takeaway is that they still have undeveloped brains <laughs> and they may look big, they may look grown up, but they're not. And they need to feel safe that they could come back to us. And the only way that they're going to feel that way is if they feel understood and if they feel connected to you and not judged or punished. If you got something out of this podcast, episode, we want to encourage you to go write a review and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and let other parents know what you think about the Parenting with Understanding podcast. Remember, it only takes understanding to transform and break your cycle. And I'll see you next week with Jess Martini. Bye. Bye.